You're listening to Four at the Back, where we look back at our favourite football sides from the Premier League era. From champagne football to shambolic debacles, each week we'll take a nostalgic view of some of the most memorable squads from the annals of our footballing fandom. We'll be light-hearted, shaky on the facts, but who cares? Relive your youth and go with Four at the Back. My name's Joe. I'm joined by the following. Neil. Hiya. Pete. Hello. And to balance them out, Mazza. Hello. Do, do I not get to use my real name now? Oh, are, are we real name? Are we going to real name you? This is you, you real name everyone else. I just felt it, it should be. No, I just I don't know. It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah, that's all right. Joe. You can call me Mazza. I don't, I don't know if I'm comfortable with calling you anything else, to be honest. That's fine. Mazza works for me. <laughs> right then. So I suppose the idea behind this was like we, um, the four of us met on a uh, on a pro wrestling site. We won't dwell on that because it's, it's kind of not what it was anymore. Um, but I think one of the things that we particularly like about the the Premier League and particularly early years of the Premier League was the stories that came out of it and the you know we we quite like the the stories that develop over the course of a season and even a couple of seasons and sometimes those stories lead us to sort of sort of teams that make us feel a certain way so we had a a conversation about um the seasons that we wanted to cover so this first season i think we've got quite a nice range of uh they're mainly success stories i'd say shall we say sort of stories where it's all fallen apart and um, we're going to look at a couple of international teams as well but we start this week very early on in the premier league era uh the season is 1993 to 94 and where else to start than the the all-conquering Manchester United team that eventually won the championship that season and had won the championship the season before? Now, you might ask, why aren't we covering the very first season, the one where they, they broke that, that long run without a championship trophy? So, first, who nominated this season? I think it was Pete. Could well have been me. Why, uh, why did you choose this one? This is the best team of that whole run. Uh, the 92-93 the team are really good, but they, they reached their apex in 93-94 before obviously not winning the league the next year and having to rebuild. Uh, so it's a, it's a period that starts really with Ferguson taking over at United and this slow burn to become this super club who just blow everybody away in 93 94 um and if they turned up in the league cup final against villa they'd have won the the treble that year and won everything um so they're not quite all conquering but damn close to it and yes i had to slide in the villa thing 
And of course, you know, you've got the song, so you remember it more, don't you? The status quo. Status quo, yeah. Yeah. So you, that's how you can name that team really easily. The infamous status quo. I think that's the thing, though. That that, that starting 11 was, was so, so good that, you know, they were just a cut above everything else, you know, and, and it was such a settled side that they just pretty much rolled the same 11 out every week. There was none of this kind of squad stuff, really. It was like you look down the, the list of appearances, it's like Cantona played pretty much every game. Hughes played pretty much every game. Bruce and Pallister were always that partnership at the back. Parker and uh, Irwin were always kind of bombing forward from fullback. Giggs, Kinchelskis. I mean, you had Lee Sharp and Kinchelskis kind of rotate a little bit. Um, and then Ince and Keane in midfields. And it was such a, uh, a sort of dynamic 4-4-2 that they played. I mean, it, it looks like 4-4-2 on paper, but when you watch the footage back, it's kind of so much more than that because you got Cantona, you know, dropping off into midfield. You know, you got you got Hughes making funny runs that defenders didn't want to follow him on. Um, Giggs and Kajewski is quite often cutting inside. It was it was incredibly fluid. And you 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 watch the goals back, and there's somewhere you know Irwin shows up in a six yard box and slots one home. You got Bruce turning up out of nowhere and scoring goals, and it was just a a team that was playing football on a on another planet from everyone else in the league that year. I think that was the thing that struck me about watching some of those highlights back. I mean, I I didn't watch uh, much football at that time. I was I would have been sort of seven years old at the time, so didn't really have an appreciation. It wasn't really until the following season I really started watching uh, football. But obviously, the the team that uh, Ferguson put together for this year had a. a no, they played a massive part throughout the, the following sort of five years or so for at least a, a, a fair few of them did. Um, but they seem to have everything. They seem to be able to put everything together at once, which I suppose was the reason no one could live with them. They had they had the power, particularly up front of Hughes. They had pace down the wings sort of gigs and Kanchelskis. And they had that sort of grit in midfield with Keane and, that, then, then that sort of, I suppose that flair that Cantona and, you know, I, I suppose there are others around him who could also add it, but it was very difficult for anyone to really live with it. I think people have forgotten how good Cantona is in a way, because it's oh. like his aura is what everyone remembers, you know, like the collar up, um, you know, the kind of mad things he says in press conferences and, you know, the whole, uh, you know, the whole kind of Gallic persona that he had. But you, you, what? I mean, this was, I think, this was his best season, just purely in terms of, you know, goal return and in terms of kind of, um, you know, playing at the sort of absolute peak of his powers. I know, like, you might argue that the '95, '96 season he was kind of more influential to the title race, but, but I think this, this one is, is kind of him at his absolute best, and you know, he actually scores more goals than Hughes this year, kind of playing as that, as that kind of, you know. Um, well, I guess it was more of a four-four-one-one with him kind of dropping off, but he actually outscores Hughes, and um, and some of the goals he scores are ridiculous. I mean, the goal against Arsenal is just—I mean, it's always on highlight packages, and for and for good reason. But you know, there are there are sort of delicate chips, there are like team goals where he sort of just passes it round these sort of mesmerised statue defenders and sort of scores at the end of it all. Yeah, he was just—he was just a brilliant footballer, and and I think you know the impact that he's had is well known, but. With this kind of a distance and with a lot of younger fans not really actually growing up watching him play, I think it's worth stating the fact that he was just a really good footballer. 
Is there a case for him to to be like the greatest import of? Certainly, that first sort of ten years of the of the Premier League. I mean, I mean, you look at the sort of the influence of people like Bergkamp and Zola and and players like that. But I mean, for the sheer difference he made to that team, surely there's there's no one else on that level. And Leeds as well, you know, it, it's, it well, yeah. wasn't the first time, you know, he came in and did it with Leeds and then, you know, went to United and, and did it there and carried them, carried them forward. He, he was a an all-round centre-forward kind of not. He, he could do it all. If you think about it from when he moves to English football, everybody he plays for wins the league except the year he kicks the fan. Every single year. And he retired it. He retired at thirty. <laughs> isn't that like absolutely? Isn't that absolutely bonkers? Like you know, you think like he probably could have played on another another four or five years, and and you know, but he he uh, marched the beat of his own drum, didn't he? And he just sort of said, right, that's it. That's my career. I've, I'm happy with what I've achieved. And the uh, what's when there's that famous letter. I don't know if you've ever seen it, like the letter that Ferguson wrote him, like yeah. a couple of months after his retirement, and you know, Ferguson saying like. You know, I talked to your dad and he didn't think you should retire after either. <laughs> I think that's, that says a lot about Ferguson as well, like the, the kind of culture that he created. And you can see in this season, there's there's obviously this sort of, this feeling of trust amongst all the players that they can kind of, you know, you, you, you talk about Bruce popping up out of nowhere and Dennis Irwin in the six-yard box, and you think there are some managers who would never let their left back in the six-yard box, but they could they could play that way, and they, knowing that either they were going to score enough or that somebody else would, be, would take up that position to, to do it. And like you say, they kind of encourage people to be in the right position, no matter who it was. And one of the, the other things that struck me about some of those goals is that Often, Cantona and Hughes would be in the right place. But when they weren't, Roy Keane was there. Or Lee yeah. Sharp was there. There was always somebody there. That they, they always had that sort of... Um, I, mean, I think I've seen Keane talk about this, that, that their, uh, their philosophy was just get in the box. And so you'll see those lung-bursting runs from Keane and Ince from midfield. You'll see Hughes and Cantona quite often drop into midfield to allow the space for that to happen. You know, you'll see Sharp. Sharp scores a ton of goals that season. Just yeah, kind of, yeah. and he's always in the box. Um, you know, Kanchelskis' goals are all kind of, he starts on the wing and then he cuts in and nobody can stop him because he was so quick and he, he wins a few pens from that as well. And then Giggs, it's Giggs' best goal scoring season as well. And and again, like, I think with Giggs, the narrative of his career is always about his longevity, right? And, and quite rightly so, he won he won more titles by himself than all but two clubs have ever won, <laughs> which is which is like absolutely outrageous. Um, you know, he won more titles of his own than anyone else except United and Liverpool, which is just I can't even compute that. But but this is him at his scintillating best. And there's a goal against QPR, which is probably his iconic goal. He, he sort of just picks it up and dribbles around the whole of the whole of QPR it's it's just uh the balance and the and the close control and the pace and and that's the thing is that people forget how electric Giggs was at this time so it's it's his best goal scoring return as well this season can we talk a little bit about, about Lee Sharp because he's probably you know he, he's probably not as celebrated as as a some you know if you were to name 
United's first eleven from that season, he probably wouldn't be in it. Um, and I remember throughout the 90s and certainly the late 90s, early 2000s, was England were crying out for a left-sided midfielder. Why wasn't it Lee Sharp? I think, if I remember right, once he moves on, doesn't he put on a fair bit of weight and slow down and lose a little bit of that final step? Maybe not straight away when he immediately goes to Leeds, but a year or two after that. Yeah, he um he parted, he parted yeah he parted it all away, didn't he? I mean, I think Ferguson let him go because he was a bit too fond of the nightlife. And actually, I think there's a scene in the class of '92 where Giggs talks about Ferguson going around their uh, their flat that they shared and um, breaking up a party and uh, giving them both a piece of his mind and sending Giggs back into digs. That wasn't an intentional rhyme. Um, but yeah, I think that you know Sharp was very much the guy that partied, and I think uh, there's also an anecdote that that um, I think it's Nicky Buttels about Paul Scholes, about sort of uh, Lee Sharp being dumbfounded that Paul Scholes didn't want to go out to the, to a club, saying, "Well, why do I do that? It'd be boring." And and Lee Sharp looking at him like absolutely just astonished that uh, he wouldn't want to take advantage of the kind of celebrity of being a footballer, and and that's the thing, yeah, Lee Sharp burnt very brightly but very briefly as a, as a as a top footballer unfortunately i mean it's well known that paul skulls likes to party at home so that's not that's not a big surprise wasn't he wasn't he um cautioned by police a few months ago for throwing a party in lockdown uh yeah there's there's, there's a fair few footballers that have done uh naughty things during <laughs> lockdown as, as has been topical <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I think I think the interesting thing about this 93, 94 United side is that those people that came after your Nevilles and your Butts and, and um, you know, and your Skulls and everyone else, Beckham, you know, they they had such high standards set for them. I think, you know, Neville talks about how actually replacing Paul Parker, he was so nervous because he described Paul Parker as being like, you know, his absolute hero, a, a, a great defender, and he couldn't quite believe that he was in the team ahead of him. Um, and he talks about how Schmeichel would basically give him absolute hell in training. And we've not talked about Peter Schmeichel yet, actually, which we probably should, because he was the best goalkeeper in the world that season. <laughs> I mean, I've, I don't know, if, uh, Mav, I think you've, you've read The Mixer, haven't you? Yes. And I, in, in The Mixer, they talk about... Um, I mean, Schmeichel's basically ahead of his time as a as a keeper. They, um, as as a keeper who could use his feet and effectively could become, you know, by today's standards, he's he's nowhere really. But by by those standards, he was effectively an an eleventh outfielder. Well, the uh, throws as well. I mean, oh. well, there's there's one goal against QPR, I think, in the season where he um. He throws it uh, the length of the pitch and Giggs just runs it on goal. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, he, he creates a lot of goals with his quick distribution. Um, United were very much um, very ruthless on the counter-attack, particularly particularly sort of against uh, lesser teams. If had a corner, then United would quite often score from it. Um, and a lot was to do with how quick-thinking Schmeichel was. But, you know, the other thing is he was a handball player as a lot of Scandinavians are and um, he credits the sort of his signature pose the kind of spread eagle save to um, to playing a lot of handball as a kid 
Yeah, he's certainly an imposing character, and again, I mean, such uh, iconic, really. When you think about that sort of that team at the time, you think you think about Cantona and the upturned collar, and you think about Giggs and those mazy runs, and you think about Schmeichel either yelling his head off or that um, that sort of spread eagle. It was, it was quite sort of a, an imposing thing for for attackers, I would think. I mean, that's, that's the thing with the team. It, it, it's a great team. A lot of them are not seen to that level because, of course, you've got the, the kids coming through, many of whom will go on to become absolute club legends. So, you know, Paul Lintz is a big example here. Paul Lintz was such a good central midfield player. You know, he, and he doesn't get talked about because, the, you know, it's always about... Keenan Skulls, who who would go on throughout that whole era to be just another level as a pairing with, you know, Nicky Butt backing them up. But, you know, Paul Ince was such a good footballer at this point. You know, strong. He he was probably, you know, at this point, he was very much what Roy Keane would become going forward. He was at his peak, wasn't he? I yeah, mean, they, I think I think they. I mean, him and because Keane was about twenty three at this point. He's just come from Forest. What did they pay for him? Three point six, three point seven million. Like that's a, you know, you think about that's the other thing about the side, right? It was assembled pretty cheaply, right? Cantona cost about a million. Keane was about three point six. You know, um, it, it wasn't a side that was expensively assembled like some of Ferguson's other sides kind of would be comparatively, and. Um, you know, they as as uh, as Matt says, they just they just fit together like like a glove, and and they had that cohesiveness. And you know, Keenan's um, Ince knew like when one when one stayed, and they would both score those goals kind of going into the box. And I think it's interesting that Ince lost that goal scoring a bit later in his career because he was, you know, he was very prolific for West Ham and and, and pretty prolific for United at that point. And I think when he went to Italy, he he kind of moved moved back uh, a little bit and became more that you know screening midfielder but he was very much all action box to box in he know, lost in a bit of pace didn't he yeah by the time he came back to Liverpool it was a bit like um he was just sort of shuffling side to side and doing square balls but he, he was a lot more than that at, at United just thinking about you say they're just not particularly ex- expensively assembled team i think Keane is the most expensive one right at 3.75 yeah. million yeah. or whatever which i think was a was a was a um a british record transfer fee at the time um and i think shearer would be the one that broke actually no yeah i think Keane broke yeah Keane broke shearer's transfer record when shearer went to blackburn um and then sutton just... breaks it a year or so later going to uh, blackburn as well they, yeah it, that's right. And it was in the days when transfer fees only went up by sort of, you know, about 250k a time and until so, suddenly you get some uh, a bit more inflation on them. Um, but yeah, Keen as well. I still remember that Cantona cost 1.2 million. It must be one of the biggest bargains. But Schmeichel, I think, was less than a million. £505,000. My God, it's like, you know, it's, it's not quite Tony Cascarino being bought for a set of tracksuits, but it's not far off. <laughs> but people didn't pay that for goalkeepers back then 
the record for a goalkeeper in the world was 1.7 million. If you can believe it, it's it's ridiculously low. But and Schmeichel was a goalkeeper until his mid twenties was semi pro. His rise to that transfer to Man United is all in the space of about three years, and he becomes the best goalkeeper in the world. It's a remarkable you know, story just looking at Schmeichel. I still remember him in the Euros actually. The year in Euro '92, the, the the final against Germany. Um, I mean, he he had an absolutely outrageous game. You know, like Germany World Cup holders. Um, and Denmark should have had no prayer in that game, and Schmeichel just saved absolutely everything. And then uh, John Jensen set up Arsenal fans for for years of disappointment by scoring a screamer. <laughs> never, never repeated. <laughs> He'd get it eventually. <laughs> the shoot chant starts there, doesn't it? It does. Still lives to this day. I think, yeah, it's one thing that your lot can take credit for. Maybe. I mean, what 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 we would have given for a Roy Keane or a Paul Ince at this time as well. I remember, I remember it, it was between us and United for Keane, uh, where he'd go, and we certainly missed the boat with that one. With with that one, Blackburn were in for Keane as well at the time because he was supposed to be on the way there, and Ferguson rang him up on the night and uh, said something on the lines of, "Do you really want to go to Blackburn?" and uh, he let Kenny Dog leash down. It's like the reverse Shearer. <laughs> like Shearer, the only yeah, person to turn down Ferguson like multiple times. I think Ferguson tried that when Shearer was going to Blackburn and Shearer didn't, uh, didn't, didn't take any notice. Um, but yeah, Keane at this point was, I think, m- like much more attacking than people are probably remembering as well. Like I think he's actually said recently, quite recently on Sky Sports, I saw an interview with him where he said, you know, early in his career he thought mid- playing midfield was all about scoring goals and and then Brian Robson said to him you've got to get more involved in the build-up play and Keane said that's not my game and Robson said you're at Manchester United you should get involved in the build-up play and you know Keane listened to him. Brian Robson sorry I was just looking at the season and seeing sort of the results as they uh as they went through, I mean, they they lost they lost once before March, um, which was one nil away at Chelsea. Like they were they were apart from that, they were unbeaten until until oh. they they met Chelsea yeah. again. Two one nil losses to Chelsea. Chelsea, Chelsea did double them. They were awful as well, and then they well, <laughs> they they thrashed them in the FA Cup final, didn't they? Having Revenge. Um, but I mean, at the same time, I mean, there's not many. There's a lot of sort of they look like a lot of comfortable victories, but they didn't dole out that many sort of big thrashings, if you like. I mean, apart from Oldham five two um, away, um, Sheffield Wednesday five nil at home. I mean, beyond that, I think that's that's the only two times they score. Oh, and they beat uh, Swindon four two at home as well. Those are the only times they score more than three goals in a game. Um, they were just relentless. I think the reason why they were so, like, why everyone hated them at the time, and it's a team that, that you know, I've come to massively appreciate, and, and it's, I, I guess it's like people have always got a recency bias because you're always going to sort of look at, at the Klopp Liverpool side and the Pep City side and, you know, and perhaps, uh, you know, and perhaps kind of a few a few years back to the sort of United circa 08, you know, and the Mourinho side of sort of 04, 05. But this is one of the great Premier League teams and, and, and they get forgotten about a lot. And the thing that made them so hateable, 
for you when you were growing up? Like, because obviously, uh, particularly, uh, and Matt will be able to attest to this as well, like, you grow up in the South and there are all these people walking around in Man United shirts and it's the most annoying thing in the whole world. There's United fans everywhere, plastic United fans. And, oh, yes. And they just never, they just never seem to lose. And even when they seem to be in, like, some dire situation... And, and I guess this was a characteristic of United under Ferguson kind of all the way through. But this was the this was the kind of, you know, the the beginning of it all. And um, they they just sort of always got out of trouble no matter what. You know, um, I think there's one game in the season where Schmeichel comes up for a corner and causes enough chaos that, that, that somebody bundles it in over the line. And that was just so typical that they score these beautiful team goals and these spectacular goals. But... When they needed a scrappy winner, they'd get that too. They're also a pretty balanced side. They didn't necessarily overpower everybody. Um, like I forget who it is. There, there is a team that year who scores more goals, I remember. It might be Newcastle. Um, but there's no one who scores more and defends better. You know, they've, they've got that balance. And then there's the goals in the midfield. So that's why I think that teams couldn't shut them out was you you didn't know where the goal was going to come from, but you also couldn't get enough ahead of them to ever keep them out like, that way either. It was a much more balanced than some of those later Premier League teams in the late 90s where it became all about steamrolling oppositions. And you get those big 5-0, 6-0 results a lot more frequently. It's a different era um, for the Premier League, but it's a very different setup in this Man United side. That, that back. Yeah, I mean, the league was very, very open back then, wasn't it? You know, you would always have two or three teams that, you know, we, it'd be unheard of now that teams at that level would be, you know, up and pushing. You know, there were, you know, you, you'd, most seasons you'd have like a Leicester in 2016, you know, pushing for the title deep in that that wouldn't necessarily be there. I mean, not necessarily going on to win it, but, you know, Games weren't easy back then, you know. Yeah, for Norwich. Yeah, just to back that point up, I mean, just looking at the distribution of goals across the season. I mean, in the league, Cantona scores 18, Giggs 13, Hughes 12. I mean, that by itself. I mean, there was a statistic recently about United's current front three: Rashford, Greenwood, and Martial scored 55 between them, and that was sort of a that was more than Liverpool, etc. I mean, this. These three have scored, what's that, 25, you know, 45 goals between them. And that's not even counting the likes of, you know, Ince with eight, Sharp with nine, Kanchelskis and Keane, both about five each. You know, goals are coming from, uh, Irwin scored two, Bruce yeah, what scored seven great, in all yeah. competitions. You know, they, they, they just come from all over the place. There's actually, there's actually a few games in that season as well where you can see that that um, Bruce is playing, you know, in the kind of like number 10 half spaces with the the whole of the United sort of front four, you know, the two wingers and and Cantonar and Hughes, you know, sort of in the box. And, and, and Bruce is kind of playing, you know, playing sort of lofted balls into the box and Sides just couldn't get out because they would just pen them in, and and I know like you know the whole the whole idea of pressing in its its modern sense maybe wasn't invented then, but 
United had their own version of it because they suffocated you. You couldn't like you couldn't get out when they were attacking you. It was just so it was so difficult to sort of play around them. I mean, you. I've just noticed that Dion Dublin's in the squad and he can't get a game. He had a bad no. leg break the year before. Yeah. yeah That's actually why they signed Cantona. He was originally meant to be Man United's main man. He breaks his leg and uh, Ferguson goes, oh, we, I need a striker. I'll just go and buy Eric Cantona. And, well, that's your United career over, really, isn't it? Because you're not going to unseat, uh, unseat the man. Fate works in funny ways, doesn't it? Yeah, he, he, scores, does. he scores one goal there, Dublin, doesn't he? Where he? I think he scores one as a sub where he kind of comes on and stabs one in. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, the lights were probably a little bit too bright for him there. But he'd obviously go on and have a very successful career um, elsewhere. I think he'd have been a very good Man United player. Um, but I'm not sure they would have won that 92-93 league with him up front rather than Eric. And how different would the Premier League be if United hadn't won the first two league titles? I think if United don't win that 92-93 one, I mean, does, does, is that, does Ferguson go? I mean, you know, he was sort of perilously, perilously close to the door, um, you know, a couple of years before that. And Art Robbins. Yeah, you've got to wonder, you've got to wonder, like, do you, you know, do you get that, that sort of, that dynasty uh, at, at all? I mean, it's certainly an interesting one because that's the thing is that, um, you know, it, although it feels sometimes like, you know, the 80s belong to Liverpool and stuff, actually, you know, Everton won a couple of titles in there, Villa won a title in there. Um, so it's not, it's not like exclusively like just Liverpool all the time. But then you look at, at from the Premier League era onwards, it's kind of all united bar one season of Blackburn and one season of Arsenal, um, which is just absolutely, you know, crazy, really. I guess that means there's a version where uh, Dion Dublin is a Man United legend and uh, Ron Atkinson becomes some sort of Premier League legend at Villa because obviously we finished second that year. So obviously it goes the other way. Alex Ferguson's the greatest manager the Premier League's ever seen and Dion Dublin's a Villa legend. Eric, Eric Cantonar ends up at Villa. Yeah, oh, wow. Villa and Dublin. <laughs> But, I mean, if Cantonar had stayed at Leeds, I mean, you, you know, obviously that Leeds team that won the last first division before uh, the Premier League began, um, you know, they, they sort of go south very, very quickly after that, that, that title win, um, partially because they do lose Cantonar, actually. But, I mean, I guess they were kind of a little bit of um, little bit of a sort of last hurrah for some of the players like, you know, Strachan as a veteran and so on and so forth. But... You look at some of the players that Leeds had at that time, you know, people like McAllister and Batty would go on to have, you know, careers for years and years afterwards. So, you know, maybe with if they'd kept Cantona and done a bit of recycling, you might have seen Leeds, you know, be a power through those years as well. I mean, it's interesting to note that, I mean, Ferguson became sort of famed later on in the decade for, you know, being fairly ruthless with his squads and, you know, moving people on even when they seemed in their prime. And, you know, I, sw- I mean, you could argue, I mean, Dublin was meant to be his main man, and you'd have thought if there was room for sentiment in football, then Dublin would have been kept on for another season or two to see if he could sort of reclaim his uh, his spot. But he was moved on at the end of this season, um, as was, um, well, Brian Robson left at the end of the season, having played a bit of a bit part role. Um, you know, and 
obviously they knew they they had something special in the the, the class of 92 and you know Neville's already on the fringes Nicky Butt makes an appearance um I think is this the season Beckham's on loan at Preston um I think that might be the next year season might, after yeah might be the following season so, so there's, there's all there's obviously these players coming through but you think at the end of you know the, the following season you know, Kanchalskis is gone. Ince is gone. Um, Brian McClare is, um, is, is, is his time has run out. So, yeah, I think there's already there's these signs of Ferguson being this having this ruthless edge to him in terms of his squad. Um, and obviously, it it became much more high profile when the likes of you know Yap Stam were were moved out and and Keane himself was. Uh, sort of fell out quite publicly um, I think I think Hughes going to Chelsea is one that stands out to me because he had he had quite a lot left in the tank um you know when he went to Chelsea and um that was one that always kind of that always struck me uh it's interesting that he obviously goes and buys Andy Cole uh the year after this um because uh, you know he's not going to keep Dion Dublin around if he's already got his eye on on Andy Cole potentially, um, so I mean even though Cole well, takes had their eye on Shearer as well, yeah, it takes a while to bed in. So um, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. I mean I think Dublin's one of those players that actually just got better and better as he as he got older as well. I think that's the other thing. Yeah, he peaked at Coventry, didn't he? Really, as uh, as much as it kind of pains me to acknowledge that. He, but three years after this, he has that uh, season where he finishes joint top scorer with two or three other players, and that's probably his, his peak. So he's a little way off that yet. So it's also worth talking about United. We've talked about them as a domestic influence. But Europe at the time was a completely... You know, for a few years, they really struggled. I mean, what... Any thoughts as to what uh, what caused that? They were they obviously ahead of their time in in England, but teams in Europe seem to have their number. Uh, well, well, we were still struggling from the ban, weren't we? You know, yeah. we we hadn't got over our, our time away from Europe, and you know, we, Europe was progressing. You know, there were the the South Americans were coming in. To, to a lot of the big clubs in Italy, in, in Spain. And, you know, we, 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 we were a little bit behind that. We were still pretty much, you know, the odd foreigner here or there, but it, mainly Scandinavians if they if they weren't from the UK. And, you know, we just weren't quite that level. But, you know, starting to get there, you know, in, in Europe, in, in the less European uh, tournaments anyway, you know, we were... We were having a a good little go in the Cup Winners' Cups and stuff like that. So between us and I remember, what what year was it, United? Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you talk about the Cup Winners' Cup, I seem to remember Naeem lobbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that was... Yeah, we, we got to two finals in a row. We, we, we got to back-to-back. Uh, you know, it's uh, the type of thing that we were expecting Emery to do. But, yeah. Great, greatest moment of all time. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> I think, I think the thing is the three foreigner rule actually. I mean, it kills United in Europe because there's a game 
where they have to play Gary Walsh instead of Peter Smeichel uh, in a European tie. I think he actually doesn't play Cantona in one of them. Um, and, you know, they have a real horrible growing pains experience. There's the famous loss against Galatasaray. Um, they get lose that season. They went out on away goals. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, they also get thumped by Barcelona at the new Camp 4-0. Um, Stoichkov and Romario running, oh, man. running, Pallister, running Pallister and Bruce Ragged <laughs> in that game. Um, and uh, it was just, I think it's, yeah, like Matt says, a combination of growing pains, but also the fact that actually they couldn't play because Roy Keane was Irish as well. Um, it, you know, you think about the key players, Irwin, Irish, Keane, Irish, um, Kansnar, French, Michael, Danish, you know, that's four. You know, four into three doesn't go. Kinchelskis was Russian if they, if they wanted to play him. Giggs was Welsh. So, actually, they, they've got six players in their first team that are foreign. They can only play three of them. Um, and you, you can see that Ferguson had to do a, a little bit of of compromising with his normal first 11. And and it was the same for everyone. I mean, you know, um, Milan couldn't play, you know, all of those Dutchmen plus uh, a few of their others at the same time and so on and so forth. So... It was the same for everyone, but for United, those were such key players, and having to leave one or two of them out was 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 not going to be um not going to be good for them. I think if you look at United's ex- expensively assembled defence over the course of that late 1980s, early 90s period, where he spends all that big money on on Steve Bruce and Gary Pallister, not big sums now, but for the time for centre backs, and then you know two million on Paul Parker, and you put them together, and yeah, it was a really good defence for. For English football in 1992, 33, coming out of uh, that band period. But then you look at, at what Milan had at the same time. <laughs> and yeah, OK, it doesn't quite match up. Uh, so then that's where they were probably weaker. I think you look at some of those goals they were scoring that season and the the football, for the lack of a better word, was kind of ahead of its time. But I, I can, I'm not surprised that um, some of these guys especially when you have those issues about you can't play the first choice back four. I'm not surprised they got run ragged um, by people who were used to playing against Brazy. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, to, be, to be absolutely honest as well, you know, that Stoichkov and Murray at their absolute peak and what a pair of, what a pair of players they were, um, you know, and they'd go on to, 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 to sort of light up uh, the World Cup a couple of... Uh, Actually, no, it's just after the World Cup, I think, that, that uh, Champions League game where they smashed United. Um, but yeah, it was it was cer- certainly a difficult era in Europe for, for, for Ferguson. But, you know, I always think that, that that learning experience that they had was really important to to when they did better, you know, later on, because they learned to grind out results. Because that United team, um, you know, had been so dominant domestically. And then you think about that that turning point, the big turning point that, uh, semi against Juve with the with Keane being suspended and then just playing his absolute heart out and, um, and and getting them through through sheer force of will and you know that I guess that's sort of five or six years of lived experience to get them to that point. Yeah, it's the opposite of what happened to them against Dortmund in '97, isn't it? That that Juve game where they lost both legs one nil, and I think uh, they. There must have been some realization of uh, we don't want to be on the end of another set of results like that, and that's what gets you through those tight games. Uh, and Ferguson started messing about with his his tactics because I mean, really, up until 
you know, sort of 98-ish. Ferguson doesn't really deviate from from fairly traditional sort of, you know, although they were very swashbuckling, it was it was a 4-4-2. And after this, he starts he starts Mike messing Bassett. about a lot more. He starts going 4-5-1 and, uh, and, and doing some different things. Like, so he played a few games where he, he had gigs up front and stuff like that. Like, he would start to sort of have a look at what the opposition were doing in Europe and, and maybe try and nullify that. And, and again, like, um, you know, as Ferguson gets older, he, he, he keeps gathering new tricks. That's why he was so successful for so long. Mm. I think that's quite a, a, a nice place to sort of start wrapping things up because I think these sort of, I suppose, these early Premier League wins, they... Um, they sort of set the tone, not just for United, but for the whole Premier League for the next, you know, 15, probably 15, 20 years of it. Um, do, um, do any of you have a, have a particular favourite memory from this season, from this sort of this sort of run of United's? I think favourite might be the wrong word, simply because they, you know, they were so difficult to like at the time. But um, I think looking back, that 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 sort of the gigs, the young gigs imperial phase where he was just running around people and making people look stupid. Um, yeah, looking back was an absolute joy to watch. And I think that goal against QPR, if anyone listening is maybe younger and hasn't ever seen that goal, then I would suggest YouTubing that. That's the period where they're comparing him to George Best, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he's still a youngster. Was it was he still on the, uh, what's it called, list at this point, where Fergie wasn't letting him speak to the media or anything like that? He, he wasn't allowed to give an interview until he was 20. I think he'd maybe turned 20 by this point. He was, yeah, I mean, it, yeah he, turned, um, he turned 20 this season. But yeah, I mean, an absolute talent. But for for me, it was Konchelskis. I, I loved watching Konchelskis play. Always did. He he was that one United player that I was like, oh man, you know, it it's the type of player that I, I do like. I do love a fast winger who can cut inside, and he would do it so often. You know, it, very much like he he was actually very very similar to what Robin would be for 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 so many years, and. Uh, uh, why I, I, I like I like to big up Konchelskis because he, he is one of those that gets forgotten because obviously, you know, that historic 1990s, you know, right midfielder for Man United is always going to be David Beckham and he'll always get for, forgotten behind Beckham a little bit. So uh, he was just, he, he was, yeah, that one guy you wanted in your fantasy football team. Yeah, uh, I think it's got to be Cantona. Um, I know it's the obvious choice and the easy choice in many ways, um, but I've always uh, liked some of those goals where he just would always caress it over a goalkeeper or around a goalkeeper, and there are just so many, uh, so many of those to choose from. Uh, generally speaking, I don't have fond memories of them because they, were, as we said earlier on, they're a team that you like to hate, uh, but they were, they were good villains in that sense because they didn't give you a lot of uh they didn't slip up very often no i've just looked through their record for that season and they, they were top 
basically had one all draw with Newcastle and they dropped to third. And from that point on, they were top all season. Right Just after that at, game where Lee Sharp destroys us at Villa Park, is that right? That's yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Absolutely dominant. Um, apart from, apart from against Chelsea, couldn't yeah, seem to get that, it done against Chelsea. And that game was in August. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, there's obviously been this. There's been some dominant teams over the years, but you know, I, I can't think. Of a of a team that's pretty much got it wrapped up that early. You know, the, I think the, there were teams sort of on that sort of within touching distance for a while, but I, there, there must have been a sense of a full sense of inevitability break. about them. Yeah, I mean, every I mean every year there was. I mean I, I think you know even when you go to to ninety five ninety six with Newcastle, you know twelve points ahead. Um, there were as soon as as soon as Canstar starts scoring all those late winners, you just think, oh, here you go. And there's no it's no wonder that Keegan had a meltdown about it because you could just <laughs> see it coming. And that's what they were like. They just they were relentless. Um, and, and that's why they were a great side. I know Klopp has coined the term um, mentality monsters for his Liverpool team, but I think it would apply just as easily to these early Ferguson teams, if not more. <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, Fergie time. You know, how did that? How many? How many games did they? Did they win? You know, just pure mental, pure mental strength in the end, where it got to the point where teams would be shitting themselves. You, you're, you're you're level with United going into the last. You know, you think the game's over. You don't, because you and that's where you lose it. You know, you you know one mistake they're going to punish you, and they did quite often. I always remember the, the the season before that that real turning point for them was uh, was the Sheffield Wednesday game, oh. and, and, and Bruce scores that header about seven minutes into injury time, and I think that was the first time anyone coined the term Fergie time, and you got kids and Ferguson jumping all over the pitch, and Barry Davis as that real iconic commentary moment where he says Bruce unbelievable, and it's just. Uh, you know, it's kind of the Aguero uh, moment of its era, really. Yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be plenty more chat about this United, or some some of the protagonists in this United team over the next nine weeks or so. Um, they'll just be they'll be recurring characters, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, it, it's it's been interesting to go through there that season and to you know they really set the benchmark for uh, for the Premier League and they, they probably they changed the course of, of footballing history in a sense with you know, the popularity or I suppose the popularity is probably the wrong word for it isn't it but certainly than his sort of aura that seemed to transcend the club came a Premier League um yeah, he, he's a Premier League icon, not just a Manchester United icon. Uh, so, uh, yeah, what a season, what a team. Well, that's it, and I think that's the key. You know, you're you're at a point where in '93, '94, where the game's changing very, very quickly at this point over the next few years, and United are at the forefront of that, and that is, you know, that is something they'll always be. 
You know, it, it it didn't change a great deal during the 80s and uh, 70s and 80s. You know, it, it, it was just there. But from this point on, it the game accelerates into an, another era. And you could say that, that basically, you know, uh, United was their own, own worst enemy and that, you know, Canstar's success um, births the Prawn Sandwich Brigade, uh, who Roy Keane would famously dislike a few years later. <laughs> As opposed to, uh, yeah. I was just going to say, in terms of the game moving on, it's the one thing that uh, stands out is this is the last year where United still have outfield players who are there longer than Ferguson. Uh, They all leave at the end of the season, apart from Gary Walsh in goal. Brian Robson on the way out and uh, Clayton Blackmore, who we haven't mentioned yet, but who was obviously a club stalwart for many years. Utility player, yeah. And I think I think the thing with Robson, I, I was always pleased for him that he got those he got those two titles. I mean, albeit a, 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 you know sort of old man who played ten games a season, but obviously he'd been such a good player in the in the eighties that it seemed a bit of a crime that he'd never won a title. So I was always it's almost like um, for anyone that follows uh, the NFL, it's a bit like uh, John Elway, you know, winning those two Super Bowls right at the end of his career. It sort of validates quite a lot and I think that's that's similar for Robson I've always been pleased that he got those just in how, time how do you feel about Darren Ferguson having a winner's medal I mean <laughs> it, it, it's funny isn't it? I, I you know I can't he's one of those players that I, I must have seen play but I do not have a single memory of what he was like as a footballer he made more starts that year than Scholes Beckham but Neville combined when's he well, actually got he was out of school by then, wasn't he? So that probably helped. When does he go to Peterborough? It's not, I guess it's not that long after this. Uh, he goes to Wolves first. I don't know when he goes to Peterborough, but Wolves at the end of the season. Right. I know, I'm trying know. to wrap this up, and you, you, you've gone on a tangent of, uh, of Darren Ferguson. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if we... Can we leave it there? Can you end a, a discussion of the 93-94 Man United team on Darren Ferguson? Uh, I, I think that's going to sum up this project pretty well. <laughs> obscure, willfully obscure. Oh, my goodness me. Right. Um, well, well, now that this is completely dead in the water, momentum absolutely shafted and killed, um, well, um We'll, we'll sort of uh, we'll leave it there. I think it's um, uh, I, I don't I don't we'll do well to end it as badly as that in the future. <laughs> Aim high. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm sure you'll find a way to do it, but you know we'll. Uh... Never fear, I'm here. I can I can manage quite a few things. Oh, good grief! I, yeah, it wasn't that wasn't even you. Uh, uh it's a challenge. I did not expect that from uh, <laughs> I did not expect that from Pete and Neil. That was uh, oh dear. I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with that. Right. What we'll do is we'll talk briefly about next week. Um, so we're going to fast forward a few years and we're going to be looking at uh, the ninety nine two thousand season. Not the really obvious story from that one. We're going to look at Leeds United. Um, who were putting together um, something of a, I, I suppose, a, a, a mini sort of Galacticos project at, uh, 
in uh, in Yorkshire. Uh, it was Dave. It, I believe it was David O'Leary's first full season there, wasn't it? Yeah, the o- the O'Leary Babes, as they were often called at the time. Yes, just uh, if only they'd known what they turn into. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they they were such an exciting young side and it, it would be very interesting to talk about them because, you know, it was one of those great football stories where they, they really captured something and then um, it, it went really, really horribly wrong. And, and it, you almost can't, you always can't write that story. And I guess with Leeds being back in the Premier League as well um, for this season, it's 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 very appropriate to uh, to, to, to revisit the last time that uh, there was any excitement up in up in West Yorkshire. I mean, they'll always be the team that you take over as a fake player in Championship Manager and, and nab some of their players for cheap. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be straight on to Dominic Matteo every time. Absolutely. Best <laughs> <laughs> anyone's ever said that sentence. <laughs> Honestly... You may laugh. He was an absolute beast in that game. Uh, right, there, there were a lot of them, a lot of good players in that. <laughs> um, I'm sure we'll get to talk about a lot of them very soon. And so, we'll end it by talking at the last minute about Stephen McPhail or somebody. He was, he was another beast on Football Manager. I love you know. He was brilliant. <laughs> He, he was, he was, he really was. Uh, I oh, back, back right. Yeah, maybe we'll just end up talking about like Gary Kelly or something. And, and Good player. Be, oh, was, yeah, Gary Kelly was, was a beast in real life. <laughs> so, solid team. Were there any weak links in that team? There must <laughs> Danny Granville. I was about to say Michael Bridges, and then I realised he, he he scored 17 goals at, oh, like, that season. He scored. Seven, oh. he, he he was a brilliant footballer. He, he, he was a he good got, young player. Got a horrific injury, and and that finished him off really. At the time when horrific injuries still did finish careers. Hang on, are we actually going to do next week's show now? Yeah, we're <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have we started? <laughs> should, we, should we should we cut all? Yeah, we'll cut this bit, and we'll just put it on the front of the next one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll just play this at the start just to jog our memory. <laughs> right well it's uh it's been great chatting you gents um we'll do the same thing again next week if you enjoyed four at the back give us a follow on twitter at four that's the number four at the back pod four at the back pod or on instagram search for at the back pod if you didn't like it it was the first one what were you expecting join us next week and see if we do better thanks for tuning in